And Daryl McIntyre on 630 Chad. Good morning, everyone. You're listening to This Morning on 630 Chad. It is 7.06. And for the past week, the city's plan to go in and dismantle more than 130 encampments has made headlines. In fact, it also made it on the court docket. Right now, there is a list of criteria that needs to be followed before tents come down. So what is going to happen now? That is just one of the things on our list of things to talk to the uh, police chief about. Chief Dale McPhee joins us now. Good morning. Good morning, Stacey. How are you today? I'm great. I'm great. Uh, chief, let's start with what went wrong with this plan to dismantle <coughs> all of these tents. Well, I'm not not sure anything actually went wrong. Um, it ended up in court, right? So something. Yeah. Something went well, sideways. well, well, but wrong is you know interpretation of the facts, and I think when you saw where the court case ended up, it actually ended up right where we started, back to where we are. Um, you know, I think there's uh, obviously a lot of work to do, but I, you know, I think when you actually look at this and you actually break things down, it's you know we've been looking at clear. Uh, uh, this clickbait about being a sweep. There never was a sweep. Said it was the police that act alone. Again, that was proven that it wasn't the case. There was an affidavit filed with a, a number of emails. Uh, you know, when you when you look at that, we've always known we've had the legal authority, as fire has legal authority. That wasn't the debate either. And then when you actually talk about the encampments, the real thing that was really missing for the discussion is these things actually just aren't safe. And I can tell you, I went out and worked a few days uh, with the encampment teams and all the people involved, and the front lines are doing an amazing job. But, you know, so to say it went wrong, um, you know, I think obviously there's some probably maybe some miscommunication, but that's a bit of an insult to the people working on the front lines because they're doing some great job. And the victimization in these encampments uh, and why it isn't safe is significant. And uh, that wasn't talked about. The, the real thing that wasn't talked about is are they safe? And I mean, why aren't they safe? And certainly I'm willing to talk about if that's uh, something you want to discuss. Well, sure, certainly. If you've uh, seen firsthand some of these uh, these tents, we certainly want to know what your experience is and, and what you saw. And I don't think there's anyone saying that these places are good for people to live in because I think you're right. We have seen deaths uh, over the last couple of months of people who uh, have tried to keep warm and, and, and they've died in, in tent fires. But I think it's just sort of uh, how big the operation was. We had a city councillor on yesterday who said that she found out about this on the news. So I'm just wondering when I say, where did the plan go wrong? Obviously, you've dismantled uh, encampments before and this this hasn't ended up in the courts. So there's just, you know, there, there was obviously a, a different plan this time, or maybe it was just the scale of it that was a, a, uh, you know, a bit it, much. 
if there if there's anything people are talking about, it's the scale. But I, I think you scale based on resources, and it's based on beds available in the shelters, and and it's clearly in the evidence that there is enough shelter beds uh, available. Now, when we're talking about what's happening in these encampments, I mean, you you, you kind of hit on it. We've got gang violence, intimidation, horrific sexual assaults, violence assaults. You've got severe drug use, uh, meth, fentanyl, car fentanyl, xylazine. You've got fire. You've got people burning to death. You've got inclement weather. All of these things mixed together are not safe. So there, if, if you look at it from the real uh, lens of, uh, you know, compassionate is can we find a place during the holidays when people are most vulnerable to get people inside? And can we actually put the security in the places inside to keep them safe? Because there's a very, very strong chance that there's overdoses basically on a daily basis. There's people dying. And the fact is, are we not, should we not try to get as many people inside as we can? Nobody's going to, and just based on the process, nobody just turns them out into the street. They try to connect them to services. The agencies are involved. We've got help. We've got PAC. I just think, you know, this whole thing turned on the police, and it was the police acting alone, and that clearly wasn't the case. But at the same time, when my officers, and certainly the fire and all of those frontline emergency services, we have an obligation and duty to keep people safe. And that is really how we speak from. We don't get involved in the social media. We don't get involved in the randomized emails that are sent to me. What we're trying to do is ensure that the best way to protect these people in relation to their being victimized uh, in a safe environment, a secure environment where they're warm. And, and you know, again, nobody wants to do death notifications over Christmas. I mean, that wrecks a family's Christmas. I've seen it firsthand for years and years to come. So I think when we talk about this, we always talk about what wrong, but we're not talking about is it the right thing to do. And and clearly when you work in partnership and you try to get as many people safe, I, I don't think we can really argue that's not a good plan. And I don't think anyone can argue with, with what you said about what's going on in these encampments as well. But social agencies said that they weren't involved. They weren't notified until the Thursday and you were going in on the Monday. And in the past, they were there. They were um, sort of in coordination with the city and with police and making sure that these places, these people had safe places to go. Where do you think they're going to end up? Do you not think that you tear down an encampment? Maybe they spend a couple of nights in the shelter. They realize that this isn't working for them and they're just going to set up another encampment. How do we stop that cycle from, from just being a never-ending uh, circle. And, and that's exactly it. It's, uh, you know, we went from roughly, what was it, 4,500 encampment complaints two years ago to just about 16,000. Oh, 100%. Yeah, so, I mean, first and foremost, what we're doing isn't working. Second thing is, you know, it's involving the right partners, health assessments. That's the longer play, but let's not get away from the fact that we got people that could die tomorrow, today, and if we can prevent that, we should do everything we can with whatever is available to us to actually do that. You know, we're not going to get into a he said, she said argument. It's all in uh, the basically uh, the documentation that was submitted to the court. There's tons of emails. So, you know, whether somebody disagrees or somebody agrees, the point is these are always been worked on by teams. If one or two groups feel that isn't the case and that's the way they're, they're safe, 
saying that. Certainly that's something to work on going forward. But I also think we heard clearly from the courts that that is done as a courtesy, notifying people. It's We're looking at different, different views of what people think that we need to do to keep people safe. But really what we're really not talking about from the start of it is there a better way to do this and are they safe when we've got inclement weather coming? We've been pretty fortunate this year with the weather. Uh, this could be a lot worse. But the point is, is there's resources available now. There's beds available now. Should we not try to do everything we can to minimize the risk? And, and I, you know, and I'm not going to get into who said what or whatever is said. I'm just going to tell you what I've seen down there. And, you know, there's a lot of people that are from, from out of town. There's people that want to go home. Uh, there's people that currently are using the shelters and the spaces at night, but they're not there in the daytime. We know we have an inadequate amount of day, day uh, space for, for people to go, but we talk about this uh, as it's okay to camp in wintertime when you're exposed to severe elements and all those other things I did. And I think if we just answer the first question to your point, we can get to the second and the third and we can actually get to these solutions. But the answer isn't just to continue to do the same thing. You know, and, and then we get into the debate about it's at Christmas time. It's like we think this is a normal time of year for Christmas. We we know that, you know, the resources and shelters aren't quite as uh, up uh, because of people taking time off Christmas. That's okay. Uh, but then again, we just look at blame versus actually what can we do to solve this. And, and, and honestly, it's getting old. And I'm agreeing with you. I think we need to do things. But I don't think it should be something where we're waiting till more and more bad things happen and, and I, I can't unsee what I've seen. I've seen the people that have burnt to death alive and, and as a father of daughters that doesn't sit well with me and I, I, I think we're all trying to get to the same place but I, I would say that there's some urgency here that's much needed. So when are you going to go in? When are I know yeah. you have a long list of, of, of things that you have, criteria that you have to check off before you take down one of these encampments. Do we have a timeline? Again, we don't lead that. We're partners in this, and we will be ready. It's been We've been criticized in the past that we haven't had enough resources. We'll be ready because what we're saying is there's risk, and we're not going to go in there alone, as is the city's not going to go in there alone, I wouldn't think, or fire. We go in as a team because that's why teams do. Sometimes it's going to be a fire risk, could be a violent issue, could be a weapons call, could be a drugs, which is EMS and health. So we go in as teams, so when the teams are ready uh, and it works, we will do that as soon as possible would be my wish. Okay, so this week maybe, before Christmas, are you going to assess and, and take down the highest risk ones? You know what, that would be my hope, but again, I don't make that decision and we don't make that decision. Uh, um, but I'm, I, I'm, I know those things will be talked about here in, you know, today and tomorrow. Uh, and again, it's to do it as best we can at the right time with minimizing the, the risks that we set. All right. I can hear the frustration in your voice. Can you stick around, uh, Chief McPhee? We've got uh, a couple of other things we want to address with you while we have you on the line, if that's okay. You bet. Thank you. All right. We're going to take uh, a, a short break. We're back with Chief uh, Dale McPhee. We want to talk about turnstiles at the uh, LRT. And also, maybe he can weigh in on Danielle Smith's tweet about the encampments uh, that uh, she put out last night.
morning with Stacey Bratzel and Daryl McIntyre on 630 Chat is brought to you by Abe's Door Service, where service is their specialty. Visit abesdoor.ca. 7.20 this Wednesday morning. We're just continuing our chat with uh, the Chief of Police, Dale McPhee. Thanks for joining us again and, and giving of your time, Chief. Yeah, no, thank you, Stacey. And just, just to clarify, it's not frustration, it's a bit of passion because I'm pretty passionate as our police are of doing what we can uh, to help our vulnerable people. And nobody's saying it's not a tough job. I, I, I wouldn't want to be in the shoes of, of, of your officers for sure. You may or may not have seen this tweet from the Premier yesterday. Uh, she is obviously getting, um, she's seeing all of the headlines that this encampment situation is making over the last week. She tweeted, another real example of how organized crime operates drug markets is making encampments dangerous for our most vulnerable and the surrounding community. Our province has worked hard to ensure that safe shelter spaces are available to those who need them. Uh, City Council may have uh, a problem with that last part of the tweet, but let me ask you to address the first part of the tweet about organized crime operating drug markets in these encampments. What does that look like? Well, I mean, that is you know, as we mentioned, there certainly is gangs down there, and it's certainly drug-related. And uh, you know, and some of the things that are happening down there definitely have a connotation to that. And we've seen um, gangs in Canada, and certainly in Alberta, over the last little while, probably the last couple of years. Uh, I think it's actually increased over 50% of how they're involved in uh, the, the illicit selling and the fentanyl market and some of these other markets uh, of some of the types of drugs. And to that point, the types of drugs have dropped change that we see on the street. I mean, you know, we've known meth for some time, and I think you've heard me speak about this for about four years now. Uh, Edmonton has one of the highest wastewater um, uh, concentrations of meth use than, than any city in Canada, which we know drives violence. You've got fentanyl, you've got carb fentanyl, you've got xylazine, and those are a lot of the things that we do see in these encampments, and those are a lot of things that obviously look to the overdoses. So is there a connection to that in relation through the gangs? Well, of course there is. Um, you know, and that's something of why we've added another gang suppression team over the past year. It's also when you talk about gun violence and some of the things that we're seeing on, on that connotation, why we're looking at building a non-fatal shooting team as well. Um, you know, because those are those are things that obviously they prey on whoever they can, and it's really a lot of times about moving the drugs in relation to the drug markets, uh, and it's all about monetary value and uh, intimidation and power. So those are those are also, as I mentioned before, I think it was one of the top things I put on my list. It is definitely one of the reasons that we're we're seeing some of the decay and some of the movement encampments. We actually uh, had a study done by University of Alberta professor that uh, said that uh, the, the gangs, uh, by interviewing a lot of the vulnerable population, quite surprisingly, it was uh, very um, good in relation to a lot of the things that we do and how we work with our vulnerable community, but it also does have connotations in there, too, about uh, how gangs have become more aggressive in that particular space. All right, Chief, uh, we only have about a minute left, so maybe this isn't, <laughs> this isn't fair, but uh, answer it as best as you can. Um, two violent incidences on the LRT over the last uh, month or so. One city councillor suggested putting turnstiles in LRT um, uh, stations. Your thoughts? Well, I mean, again, turnstiles, um, some would say that there's research that doesn't work, uh, but, you know, when you actually look at some of the major cities, which we are, um, they do work. So, 
you know, they work for a various different reasons. Um, you know, they do keep some of that element out. Um, obviously, you know, for those, uh, it's not really us that deals with fare evasion, but mm-hmm. there's there's part of that. But it just probably makes it more uh, susceptible to the people who want to use transit and who need to use transit. Yeah. Versus They're willing those. to beat up an innocent person. Aren't they willing to jump over the turnstiles? Well, yes and no. I mean, again, every little bit helps, right? I mean, it's it's like focusing on a commodity versus actually the individual. So, I mean, we have seen some pro, uh, positive stuff since we've been in transit full-time. It boils down to the right authority, but if there is something from an environmental design uh, perspective and if it is cost-effective, uh, then it definitely should be looked at and we can actually see and measure what that does and maybe you start with the ones that have the most problems. But again, that's not, uh, you know, for us to decide. Ours is to make sure that we have a presence down there because we know when we have the bodies to have a presence down there, it makes a difference and it's based on the authorities that we carry. And uh, so, I mean, as you as you just articulated, it's there's more than one solution to everything here. Yeah, and I am hearing a, a lot uh, about uh, police presence and, and making a difference, especially in the downtown. I was talking to a business owner uh, just over the weekend saying that you're around, they see you, and, and they are seeing uh, less trouble in, in that area. So I appreciate all of the work that you're doing, uh, Chief, and uh, have a Merry Christmas. Yeah, and thanks, Stacey. And again, I really appreciate you um, uh, doing what you do. And I think, uh, you know, it's nice just uh, to be able to talk. And I wish you and your family, and make sure you pass it on to Daryl, too. Have a Merry Christmas and have a safe and uh, relaxing holiday. You bet. Thank you so much, Chief, for your time. Bye-bye.